Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Sam. Uh, Have you had any nightmares recently? (laughs) (laughs) I had a stress dream about this episode. Okay, good. Yeah, you'll have plenty more of them once we're through with this because this is such a ridiculous movie. I can hardly believe it exists. Like when I was watching it with my partner this week, I was like mouth open on the couch. Like, (laughs) how did they write this and let this happen? I had to keep watching it just because I couldn't (laughs) believe it. Um, So let's get this dream started. Welcome to Subtextual. If this is your first time listening, what we do here on the pod is we take films that you love, hate, or have never seen and point out all the queer subtext that you already knew was there. And boy, do we have a show for you. Quick shout out to our lovely patrons. If you're supporting us over on patreon.com slash pod, we really appreciate you. You make this possible. There's a bunch of tiers for you to get in on, some including video episodes, discounts on merch, and the ability to vote on our main feed episode, which is why we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. It's what you wanted us to talk about. It's what you're hearing now. And we couldn't be as excited the word. <laughs> titillated (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) intrigued uh by this choice and who better to talk about this film with than our lovely guest brody oh thank you i am brody the blue the patron saint of good books and stern looks and i'm very excited to be talking about this just text film it's not even subtext it's just (laughs) (laughs) yeah you might recognize brody's voice from our scream extravaganza brody we're so excited to have you we've known you for a long time and it's very full circle that We're all here together in this little room. We lived together for a while. Were we good roommates? You can be honest. I think so. I didn't have any complaints. Because while we were all living together, that was at the point where we were like temporarily homeless and squatted in the living room for a good couple of months. Yeah. That that barrier of that sheet did all it needed to do and it was all fine. Lizzie and I didn't even just live in the living room. We shared the living room. (laughs) We shared a bed in the living room. Uh, So, Brody, you feel kind of strongly about this film. You expressed some interest. Strongly is a word, yes. How do you Uh, feel about this movie? Ever since I first saw it, it was just, like I said before, there's no subtext. It's all text. Mm -hmm. It is very gay. There's No matter what scene you stop on, there will be an obvious reference to homosexuality in some way. Yeah. It's so hard to believe that other people did not pick up on this. Lizzie, when did you see this film? People didn't pick up on that. Good Lord. People don't be using their brains when they watch movies. Um, I saw this film for the first time this week, like four days ago. I watched it with my partner and I'd always heard a hundred times like, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that's the gay one. It's the one with the gay, blah, blah, blah. And But no additional context to that. So I'm going into the movie thinking like, okay, maybe there's like that one scene, you Mm -hmm. know, like the same lens I came to Top Gun. It's like, oh, great. Everyone knows that the volleyball scene is gay. I've heard of that scene. This is going to be like a single scene that we just like break down to shit. Girl, no. (laughs) I was stunned. I was honestly stunned at how specific this film got in the queer storyline. And I was like, well, we're going to have a lot to talk about because she wild. But I I did enjoy watching this movie a lot. Yeah, this is a movie that is a fun time watching it. And then you get some distance from it and you're like, do I even remember? This can't be right. Lee, when does do you remember the first time you saw this film? I remember that the Nightmare on Elm Street series was kind of my introduction into horror. Oh, wow. Like, I started watching. So I definitely probably blockbuster, you know, rented all of the films. The only one I haven't seen is the 2010 film. 
Because at the time, I guess, when I was watching the films, it hadn't been made. So I probably saw Freddy's Revenge uh, maybe like in high school. Mm -hmm. And I definitely did not pick up on the (laughs) subtext at first. Though I do remember... There's a documentary called like Never Sleep Again. Never Sleep Again, it's like yeah. Six hours or something, or it's like a really long documentary about all the films. And there's like a little segment on it. So I was like, oh wow. And obviously watching that doc made me rewatch the series. But I do think the first time that I saw the film, there's like a scene. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like uh just my memory of the film was like uh, uh the main character, like his girlfriend is trying to like help him and he's like no get away from me he's like why does he want to be with his girlfriend yeah she is like so genuinely helpful towards him and he's like repulsed by her for some (laughs) inexplicable reason i have seen a bunch of the nightmare films in the franchise and if i'm being totally honest with you listener it's just not a franchise i gravitate towards i don't like the idea of dreams i've said this before on the podcast i think doing something through a dream often feels really cheap to the audience and then It's so formulaic with all of the films like, oh, you're going to try to stay awake. You drink a Diet Coke. Too bad. You fall asleep and he kills you. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's uh, they're kind of actually a prisoner to the rules that they've set for themselves in this universe. But the reason that we're talking about it today is because, as everyone's mentioned, this film is so obscenely gay. Oh, my God. From like time code zero, zero, one, zero, 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 one. Yes. Brody, how is this like a a go to for you for Halloween? Is this a film you've only seen once or twice like what's your relationship with it i don't know if i go to it specifically every halloween but generally since i work from home two days of the week i usually start cycle through it at some point mm-hmm. i went on a tear of uh nightmare i always say nightmare before christmas but i know it's not that <laughs> uh, the nightmare before christmas on elm street um because <laughs> i go through usually the whole nightmare on elm street uh canon and i can't recommend the newest one uh, jackie earl haley does a good job but yeah. it's it's a little too it's not good it leans too much on that form of like oh no if you fall asleep the whole thing's gonna happen mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so i don't necessarily go back to this but ever since i first saw it three years ago i was just how did people not know mm-hmm. it's just right it's insane well the, the writer I, I read like for a while kept saying oh no, no we, didn't, we, didn't do, we didn't do that but only recently in the last few years he's been like oh no, no we meant to do that it was just Dude, pick a pick a tune and dance to that one. <laughs> right. Like yeah. pick your story. Cause it there's just no way this was an accident unless someone is just so unbelievably closeted that like every waking moment they're thinking about their secrets, you know? And I, one of the questions I had for you, Sam, was I didn't look into this film at all. Mm-hmm. I know very little about the Nightmare franchise. I've only seen the first two. So, like, who is the person whose hand was in the writing room or directing it gay at all? Nobody on the crew is gay other than the production designer. Hmm. And a lot of them were really confused with the reception of some audience members being like, well, that's gay, obviously, right? And they were like, um, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, uh, Lee, you referenced the documentary Never Sleep Again, which is about the making of of multiple films in the Nightmare franchise. So I'm actually going to show you a clip from that really quickly. And we hear from a bunch of the cast and crew about their perspective while creating the film. I simply did not have the self-awareness to realize that any of this might be interpreted as as gay. I also had not the slightest idea that one of my lead actors was gay. The fact that Mark Patton was an openly gay actor, I don't think had been uh, revealed at that time yet. I'm absolutely sure there's not one moment that I remember that it was discussed. I never saw it. I didn't get it. All I can say is we were all incredibly naive or all incredibly latently gay. I'm not sure which. 
we just had no idea. <laughs> we just didn't know. It was never discussed. I just don't fucking buy it. Yeah. I just don't understand how... <laughs> I just don't understand because it's not just one instance. It's not even just this singular character acting queer at certain times. It's woven into the whole thing. And it's almost like they try to cover it up as well by shoving this romantic love interest and making her kind of a key part of the story. It's like the cover up is also feels gay to me. I was about you know to I mean? say that ironically the hetero love interest is what makes it feel even more gay. <laughs> 100%. And I think the time that it was written is also important because mm-hmm. this is the mid-AIDS crisis. <clears throat> so, you know, Ronald Reagan ignoring everyone who was gay so they could all die was his game plan for AIDS. And from what I understand, the screenwriter said that originally it was subtext. He was like, I wasn't trying to make this whatever, but he like allowed the actor, the main actor who was closeted at that time, uh, but not to his like agent and a few other people, but he like brought it out sort of thing it was kind of his argument for why he was like no no, no. It, was, it was subtext all the time because i was like trying to like play on uh i was trying to think of what would scare little little boys and teenagers it's oh what if you're gay that would be very scary and that's the kind of like thing that he was going for it's like my dude i'm so glad you bring that up because i have a, a clip to show mm. you uh from the the screenwriter david chaskin as he discusses the subtext also <laughs> <laughs> And the first voice that you're going to hear is David Chaskin. The second voice is going to be of the actor Mark Patton. You know, we've always pussyfooted around this. Look, I, I, it was supposed to be subtext, all right? It really was. David Chaskin, without a doubt, knew what he was writing. You have to remember, again, this was the 1980s. This was post-AIDS. People were really out a lot then. I mean, maybe not in Kansas but certainly on both coasts. And I started thinking about uh, guys being, like, unsure of their sexuality. And I thought, well, that's pretty scary. Okay, so they they come out and say it. As Brody was saying, though, for a while, this screenwriter was saying not the, ca- not the case, mm-hmm. not subtext. And then he kind of, in this documentary, claims that subtext. So it is kind of confusing. Is Are they leaning into it now because it's heralded as a cult classic in the LGBT community? But I'm glad some of the crew is just honestly like we were so naive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the director's never changed his tune. He's always said, and to this day, he's like, I had no idea. <laughs> and he's the director. I'm just, I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting that even though the actor is not being directed to play up that part of that character's personality, that it still comes out so blatantly. But also, I'm just like, if you have two guys wrestling right off the bat in this way where someone's like ass is out, you have a character written with like BDSM coming from a queer bar. You know, you have all these like direct references. I still don't understand. I mean, again, like you said, it was Reagan era. Mm -hmm. We were burying that shit and we were not trying to use queerness to sell a product there's also the unsettlingness and it's not mentioned much in or really at all directly in this film but freddy krueger is uh, a pedophile uh mm-hmm. that's 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 the canon of it so like without saying it directly it is like basically saying you're wrestling with your homosexuality and also with your pedophilia he's like mm-hmm. it is also putting those things together it's very reminiscent of jeepers creepers mm. yeah this like almost appetite for like a physical body that feels really, um, which feels really predatory, which is a stereotype gay people have been trying to shed for so many years. But even as Lizzie was saying, even if the actor who plays the main character wasn't gay, it still is an allegory. Right. It, it, it's not like he's playing it up and only his like flamboyant performance is the reason we're talking about it today. 
I, I found this article called The Rare Final Boy from CBR.com that said this about the film. It shouldn't go unnoticed that amid the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic, the film's release gave LGBTQ audiences a hero who not only struggled with their inner desires, but also overcame an incorporeal enemy that threatened to invade their bodies. And Brody, you found another weird quote from the screenwriter, didn't you? Oh, weird's one way. Uh, basically, he says, if you really wanted to have fun, one might argue that the entire movie is a metaphor. Jesse is, in the end, finally able to control the monster inside him, his latent homosexuality, with the love of a good woman. Maybe they should show this film at one of those evangelical deprogramming sessions where they try to fix gay people into regular Americans. But you know what's funny? Like, if if you do look at the film that way... It doesn't work <laughs> because he's right back in the nightmare at the very end. Mm. So because like yeah. I said, it's just like undeniable. And again, it's not just like certain instances where this character is gay. It's like it is a whole metaphor for this person's journey, for this person's fear, which is what the nightmare movies do so well. Is like not only does Freddy Krueger prey on your body, but he preys on your fear. Like it makes him more powerful. So we talk all the time like horror is a way to give personification to your fears so but in the end i think this gay character is still this gay character and he tried to he tried as he must to defeat this this fear inside of him but until you face it outright like he was never going to actually defeat freddy krueger yeah and he is he was given the title uh the main character jesse who's played by mark Patton, was given the title of being the first ever scream king and um we spoke a little bit about this in our screen episode but carol j clover wrote the book men women and chainsaws gender in the modern horn film where she most evidently used the term final girl to kind of express how heterosexual men view the final girl through a lens where they basically have to masculinize her so by having a, a final boy, so to speak, and the only one in the franchise, all the other leads are women. It's interesting because a role that's typically made for women, he is able to portray that. And it's almost like, even if this film didn't seem so gay, that the audience would want to effeminize this role. Which the screenwriter does very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, his whole arc and what his girlfriend tries to get him to do is just to ask for help, mm -hmm. which is like, the most masculine thing in the world to be like, oh, no, I don't need any help. I got this. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to I'm just going to kill this guy. You know, I'm going to muscle through it. But what she's trying to impart to him and what he eventually kind of learns is like, OK, I need to be vulnerable. I need to be emotional. I need to open up. I need to share my feelings, you know. So he does. He is effeminized in that way and in, in a way that's interesting. Yeah. And I would even say he's not a final boy because every, all the victims are at his hands. Like he is Freddy Krueger. He's not, he's not trying to kill himself. He is enacting the violence. He is a victim of, of he's terrorized by it, but he is not, you know, at risk of harming himself. True. So it's like a werewolf story or something. Mm, like that's yes. the trope or whatever. It's not the final boy, final girl. Yeah. Yeah. And he only has like a certain level of control over what Freddy Krueger makes him do. Yeah. I don't want to dive too much into like the metaphor of someone who's been abused also becomes the abuser, mm -hmm. which is kind of like what I think that could be like shoehorned into to some degree. Mm -hmm. You can only hurt those around him. Whew, so much subtext, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So much fucking subtext. And we're going to touch on the scenes that are ridiculously gay in a moment here. But just want to talk about the production for a quick sec. The original Nightmare on Elm Street film was directed by Wes Craven a year before this film, 1984. And 
Craven passed on directing this sequel because he didn't believe that there should be a sequel. Huh. And apparently Craven did not like this film. He felt that it took too many liberties with Freddy and the role set in the original. I could not agree more. That was my biggest pet peeve. Uh, And this film was actually directed by someone else, obviously Jack Shoulder. Yeah, I might be misremembering the rest of the series, like the rest of the sequels. But if I'm not mistaken, this is like the only film where Freddy like takes control of someone else. Yeah. What Craven was complaining about, about them like sort of changing the whole dynamic is... Is kind of true. It's like, yeah, this is the, it's, it's a pivot from the first film, which is, I guess makes sense for a sequel, but in the whole franchise and the whole series, it doesn't really fit in. That was actually a question I had because I hadn't seen past this film. Like, does Freddy kind of reach beyond the boundary and take over reality and human beings as well as dream world? Because like every slasher is undefeatable, mm-hmm. you know, screams Ghostface in his own way, Halloween's Mike Myers in his own way. But in this one, I was like, well, if you can just come into real life and make you do whatever, like it kind of does make it less scary. Uh, like you were saying, like uh, in the beginning of the episode, Sam, like putting things in a dream world cheapens them, but then letting them come out of the dream world and also be in reality is like, OK, well, there's nothing we can do <laughs> at this point then. Yeah, there you're you lose your investment when there is not a possible thing that any character could do to save themselves. You're like, I'm just watching people get slaughtered at this point. Yeah, exactly. I think the series kind of peaks with Dream Warriors, the third one. It's much, much better. They also have uh, Nancy back in the third one. uh, I don't even think she was really invited to the second one. Uh, So it's it's much better. It's much more in line with what Craven, I I imagine Freddy's powers should be and everything. It kind of like takes place in a sleep study type thing. People are having trouble sleeping. And then one girl, I forget the actress's name. I think she's an Arquette. Can like Patricia. Thank you. Yes. She can like actually like control dreams to some degree. So she's almost like a like a threat to Freddy. So there's a bit more of like kind of like the antagonism between them two. It's really good. Yeah, you have to give your protagonist agency in some way, even if they fail. The more agency you give them, the more we can root for them. But we're just watching this poor guy be victimized over and over, and you're like, okay, well. He's not going to win. And then you get to the end and he doesn't win. And you're like, I fucking told you. You know. The only thing I would add for the whole, because I didn't really, I, when I first watched the series, I, I learned this. So New Line Cinema is called The House That Freddie Built. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because the first one was so successful. Yeah. It like made them a star. And the first weekend, the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out that's when they greenlit the sequel. And that's back when they did wow. not do that. Uh, so it was like really crazy. And they want like rush production. And that's kind of like why I think Maybe they don't remember the subtext or like how it became gayer because they were like always like had to like get to the next thing or whatever. But I don't know, just that kind of thinking about that just is wild to me. Yeah, the turnaround was a year, which is insane to like write a script, get people on, get a director, crank the movie out. It was long days, hard work, as they said at the time. And you're right. The first one was incredibly successful with a budget of $1 million. It made $57 million. What? Yeah. So definitely the house that Freddie built, New Line Cinema, was like teetering <laughs> on the edge of bankruptcy. So they really, really needed another hit with this one. And let's just get into the movie. Okay. You've had some scary dreams, okay? House! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. All right, let's jump into the plot. The plot. Dude, watching that trailer, you're so right. Jeepers Creepers totally jacked so much from Freddy. Like, mm-hmm. even the look of the creeper, mm-hmm. this, like, bus scene is very Jeepers Creepers, too. Copyright infringement. <laughs> I know. It's it, Watching this again after 
like holding a lens to Jeepers Creepers too. I was like, I guess we're just doing it again. Yeah, right. So we start off in a small town, 1985. I actually name it in this film. What is it? Springwood. Okay. They had to keep going with the gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it would be springing. <gasps> Springwood. You guys. I love a good Just call reach. it Morningwood. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So we are in Springwood, and we meet new kid Jesse Walsh, played by Mark Patton, as he's riding the bus from school. And when the bus begins to accelerate off the road, it goes into a terrifying dreamscape. So Freddie is played by an actor named Robert England. Mm. And the bus driver, who is actually at the beginning of this dream, he's just like a normal person driving the bus. That's actually Fr Robert England out oh. of costume. And then once they go into the dreamscape, um, it's Robert England. He becomes transformed into Freddy Krueger. And he's just about to kill Mark and his two classmates. But at the last second, Jesse wakes up. It was a dream. And he is wet. Can we talk about how fucking wet this guy is? Like, <laughs> why is that necessary? I saw a tweet that was like, oh no, I saw a letterbox review that was like, yeah, being gay is just being really soaked with sweat when you wake up in the morning. And it's all like, like spring yeah. wood. <laughs> Jesse attributes this bad dream to the heat in his room, doesn't pay too much mind to it. And then he drives his friend Lisa to school and can we just call her Meryl Streep? <laughs> I'm so glad Word. you mentioned that. <laughs> Do you see like a picture of Meryl Streep next to her? It, oh, it really? does look very similar. Oh. Uh, they, there's like a rumor that's partly why they like uh, hired her for that part. But in case people like mistook her on the poster yeah. or something. <laughs> Starring Meryl, Meryl Streep. I love yeah, that. Uncanny, especially young Meryl Streep like oh. at this time. I did not catch that, but I did think this was a really good actress for a horror movie. She am, really I, am I a lonely island? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she, God, they were all just doing what they had to yeah. do. Yeah. She's definitely underutilized for the first like three quarters. And it's only, really only the last 15 minutes that she actually like, has some meaty role to actually deal something with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's not given the best motivation. So you can see this actress really working with what <laughs> she's got. Like, all, all we have is that he drives her to school. Like That's why she <laughs> loves him. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> they really don't explain that. Okay, well. He drives her to school. Edward Cullen does fucking less for Bella Swan in Twilight. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> So later during gym class, uh, Jesse gets into a fight with his soon-to-be friend, Ronnie. And this becomes homoerotic immediately. Like, Ronnie pulls Jesse's pants down, his ass cheeks are out, and they, like, start wrestling. Yeah, no fighting, oh, uh, just wrestling. Just, no, no, like, yeah. like, someone's got their butt cheeks out, and it's just wrestling. Why? Why? I was going to show you this scene, but I have so many scenes to show you. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is rolling around in my head instantly because this is when I realized when I watched this the other day, I was like, oh, no, there's a lot that's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. So the coach of their high school, Coach Snyder, breaks up this fight and tells them to assume the position, which is just holding a plank for hours on end, it seems like, as he watches from his office, which is so fucking weird. Well, I don't like this guy. He doesn't he doesn't do anything like freaky and sexual with the kids, but it like it's an undertone for and sure. He also says the phrase pretty boys like you at one point. And oh, it's just like, yeah. okay, can we like take a step like the uh, it's a cliche almost a pedophilic uh PE teacher. Like can we like not do that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's made worse by the fact that they make this character gay mm -hmm. on top of him being super creepy. Like when they're holding this position, Jesse's new friend Ronnie is telling Jesse that Coach Schneider is gay and that he hangs out at a queer SM club. And Ronnie tells Jesse that Coach Schneider likes pretty boys like him. Moving right He gets along. no other character traits than just being a fucking creep. Mm -hmm. Sex maniac. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. 
Also, you tell me Springwood has a fucking S&M club? Like- <laughs> <laughs> Called Don's. 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 Don's, you know. Oh, God. Don, that freak. Swanky. <laughs> um, so after this, the boys shower and in the locker room, Ronnie tells Grady that five years ago, some chick went crazy in the house that Jesse just moved into after watching her boyfriend get murdered across the street. So it's alluding to the events of the first film. Oh, that's another rule that I figured was broken by this film that doesn't carry over in the franchise. They made it seem like Freddie was tied to this location, like mm-hmm. like he was haunting the house in some way, which I was like, that doesn't feel like Freddie at all. Like he should just be preying on kids' fears. Like, he can go into their dreams. Why does it matter what the address is of this house? So that was one thing that I was kind of like, okay, sure, they had to connect it in some way. He was just waiting around for someone to move in so he could possess <laughs> them. It's like, I'm pretty sure he could do whatever the fuck he wants because the yeah. whole film you show him doing whatever the fuck he wants. His fucking house is on the market for, like, a year or some shit, and he's just, like, sitting there twiddling his little knife thumbs, like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess I'll just wait those. until, ooh, maybe these people will buy the house. Yeah, it's it's definitely a stretch. This film is ridiculous. <laughs> so at first, Jesse doesn't believe Ronnie and the story, but... Jesse's nightmares get progressively more terrifying. And that night, Jesse can't sleep. He's soaked again, because why not? And they show him in bed in his underwear. And he goes downstairs to, like, get a midnight snack. When he walks downstairs, he's in a nurse's scrub top. Yes, okay. Full jeans and sneakers. Why? 80s fashion. (laughs) The 80s were horrendous. (laughs) You would go down there in your underpants. And your tidy whities If anything... You would put on pajama pants, but jeans and a scrub top and sneakers. And your AC is out, allegedly, so you're <laughs> hot and sweaty as hell. He's like, what's the most absorbent pair of pants I have? I'm putting those on. Dude. That's just really bothered me. It's not gay at all, but it pissed me off. <laughs> also, totally irrelevant. I'm editing this, so I'm probably going to cut it out. But this house has the same layout as Eric Foreman's house from that 70s show. Did anyone else um, clock that? No. Like the stairs upstairs and downstairs and the living room layout is the exact layout of that 70s show um that's for someone out there lee's nodding so i'll never unsee it (laughs) never (laughs) eric foreman just moves in right after (laughs) and he's fucking haunted by oh maybe he starts the whole thing because it's that 70s show and then it goes in the 80s with freddie i mean Wow, maybe he's Freddy Krueger. Topher Grace's Freddy Krueger would actually make my life complete. Uh, So yeah, he can't sleep, so he puts on formal wear to get a (laughs) nice snack. And um, he sees something move outside, so he goes to investigate. Sure. Dumbass rule number one. Don't do that. (laughs) What not to do. And from the outside of his house, he sees Freddy Krueger in the basement. And he doesn't, like, believe that he's what he's seeing is real. So he goes back into the house and, like, opens a basement door from the inside and, like, calls down to his dad, who he thinks might be down there. And the door, like, starts to shake. He's, like, struggling to keep it closed. He's, like, terrified. And then Freddy Krueger appears behind him. He screams like like a gay boy. I'm so sorry. Like, ah! It is so fucking slay. His scream <laughs> yes! is so Good. You know, like vocal <laughs> coaches have to teach actors how to scream because if not, then they can damage their vocal cords, especially when you're filming all day, every day for months. So the amount that Mark Patton had to scream, kudos. <laughs> scream he, King for a reason. Slay King. <laughs> so Freddie tells Jesse, I need you, Jesse. You've got the body and I've got the brains. And then he like pulls his. Ugh. Gross. Special effects in this movie go hard. Yeah. 
And so the next day, Jesse is ordered to finish unpacking his room by his father. And we get my favorite scene in this whole fucking movie. This is the scene I related to the most. So I'm going to show Lizzie and Brody my favorite scene from the film, obviously, where Jesse has a little dance party in his room while unpacking his things. Troy Savon could never. Troy Savon might. <laughs> All right, you guys. What do you think of that scene? Heart eyes. Awuga. This is me. <laughs> this is my life. Ass bumping his little drawer closed. I literally looked over to Bruno and I was like, this is a gay man. This is me as a gay man. <laughs> I love it. According to TVTropes.com, he had objections to how that scene was filmed and he had his own choreography but they wouldn't let him do it they're like no you need to, to do it up a bit more so wow. no what way yeah um the actor who plays jesse mark Patton was very apprehensive about filming this i'm gonna really? show you a little clip from him discussing this scene this is the scene he was apprehensive about filming there's another like the dream one from earlier like when there's a part where Freddie's like caressing his mouth or his face and Robert England mm. wanted to put his knife in there Ooh. to like to like simulate oral sex and uh, I think the makeup person told Pat he's like you can't do that like that will ruin like as bad as this film is going uh, maybe <laughs> but like uh, they didn't really have a scope of it but he's like you cannot do that scene like he wants to do it just let him just like do it outside the mouth don't go for that stuff jeez oh, thank god he did cuz that would be Fucking surreal. That would have gotten banned in Reagan's America, I think. That yeah. would, they were just like not having anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. If there was one thing that I could delete from my filmography in my entire life, it would be that dance scene in my bedroom. I actually find that scene a little bit embarrassing. Risky Business had had this very successful scene with Tom Cruise. We were just ripping on that particular pop culture deal. I, I understand that the video was played in the in gay clubs a lot. It'll go on forever and ever and ever, and my butt will be bouncing, and I have that horrible hair and those hideous glasses. And again, it was a choice. It was another one of those choices that really brought the subtext way up right in your face. Take a shot every time someone says subtext on, on those videos. God. I just want to say the writer was saying that it was a choice. I mean, like the writer didn't choreograph it in the screenplay. Like he mm -hmm. didn't. He, he just put like even if he wrote that scene, he just puts like Mark dances or whatever. Or sorry, Jesse. Mark dances gay. <laughs> so no, no, so basically, like it's part of like he said he said thing with all of this, right? Because uh, obviously Patton like disappeared from film for thirty years after this because it was just horrible for his career. He said I think it was in the documentary, and this is quoted out of I think TV tropes again. It's just like. They had that in the the thing in the script, like oh. he pops his ass or something like that, and oh it's just no. like what? Oh, uh, but without having a script, so I can't verify so that. So I don't want to put, my, I don't want to take my claim on that. However, I read that. I was like, but this oh is God. he said, he said. It's so kind of even more demented, dude. If you did write that, bounce like, that ass, <laughs> bounce that <laughs> ass on his drawers. But even if it's just like Mark dances instead of cleaning his room, that's still like a choice. Like, what, what is, what's a cooler straight way to play that scene? You know what I mean? It was always there in the subtext. And Mark mentions it's a riff off Risky Business, but also Tom Cruise also seems super gay. Yes, <laughs> we have talked about this a million times, and that scene in particular is also, like, winked at mm -hmm. in film for being a little queer. The Tom Cruise top gunification. <laughs> Literally the gayest movie I've ever seen. Brokeback Mountain move aside. <laughs> so after this magnificent dance choreo, 
Lisa arrives to help Jesse finish unpacking, and she finds Nancy Thompson's diary detailing her terrifying nightmares that are shockingly similar to Jesse's. Can we take a second and talk about set design? Brody. Oh, my God. Okay, yes. I think I know what you're going to say, but please, there's, Lizzie well, needs to know. There's two things that stand out to me in this scene. One, uh, when they're reaching up for the journal, there's a board game called Probe. Um, <laughs> and so I had to Google to make sure, like, is this a real thing? It turns out it is a real game. Uh, it's uh, like a, some sort of like word game from the 60s. But when uh, his mother and Lisa walked in, on the door, you can notice a sign that's red and white and says, mm-hmm. no chicks. But it seems like he made that because... it. The eye doesn't look like it belongs there. It looks like he, like, right. wrote it on top of there. So it says, no chicks allowed or whatever. So it's just like, No out-of-town chicks. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and as I mentioned at the very beginning, um, the only gay person on the crew was the production designer. And so much of, like, just embedded in the background, if you start to take a look at it, a lot, a lot of, like, queer iconography – And, you know, a lot of things were popular in the 80s that are kind of gay, but still fucking probe. That's ridiculous. Also, I'm praising the production designer for being hella gay and making these great choices, but I need to bash them very quickly. (laughs) Lizzie, you would hate this. Okay, so when they're reading this diary and they're flipping the pages and they're passing it back and forth to each other, it's completely blank. (gasps) Lazy. Lizzie binds books for fun and (laughs) her dream job is to do it for a living like on set you would fucking kill this they're reading what's supposed to be this woman's like innermost thoughts and all the pages are blank how hard is it to write like nancy she's like 14 years old she's got bad dreams just you could write that in an afternoon scribble it in like lorem ipsum come on they were too gay they're worrying about other gay things (laughs) but the diary was like the least of their concerns uh, so that night, Jesse has another nightmare where he finds Freddie's clawed glove in, um, I'm from the South. What is that thing in the basement that makes things get hot? Boiler? The boiler. That's what they refer to it as. Like boiler the boiler room, room or whatever for, that's what, the furnace. Yeah. A furnace. The furnace. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the boiler room is like yeah. the, that's the Freddie thing, that's, right? Yeah. Well, especially in the first one, that's, that's where he took his victims uh, when he was alive. It's a can- canonical thing. There's always like a boiler yeah, always- room set or something. What's with like? Freddie and Heat. Did I, is that something he, I missed from the first film? <laughs> the one thing I'll credit the newest movie for is that they do a lot better job of saying, like, what was Freddie all about and yeah. what did we do to him? Because the whole backdrop, spoiler alert, is that the parents of the kids who were being affected by Freddie killed Freddie. Mm, uh, so he's, oh. like, coming back to get vengeance on them. And if you if you look at that, like, the first one comes, I think, has a much bigger light to it. But, like, yeah. that's why there's always a boiler and there's always heat and fire and things because that's how he was m- murdered himself. Yeah. I feel like it was always, like, the pedophilia angle was, like, there but kind of sidestepped in mm-hmm. the original canon. But they lean like, into it heavy. Yeah. It's like they never really want to talk about it too much. But, yeah. He's in hell. <laughs> he went to hell. Mm. Praise Jesus. So, yeah, he finds this, like, clawed glove in the furnace, and um, Freddie appears and tells Jesse to kill for him. It's not intentional, I think, but something we can talk about a little bit later is that I kept flashing back to, I don't know if you guys know anything about Leopold and Loeb. Yeah, we did touch on that in the Scream episode. Crazy. Can't wait to hear. 
But yeah, uh, I just, he kept saying, like, you kill for me and everything. And, like, Freddy seems to be, I think he's the the Leopold situation. And because I think Loeb was the more docile one. But just, like, I don't think it was on purposeful. But, like, as I'm watching, it's like, it just felt so, mm-hmm. like, the, that felt part of the subtext to some degree. It's intimate. It's this thing that they share and no one else will understand it. And even though Jesse, in this case, is being terrorized by it, no one can relate to him. Like, even his love interest, he feels like at such a distance from her because of this weird parasitic relationship. I totally see that. The next day, the house is 97 degrees inside. And this is the most ridiculous scene. Oh my God, you guys. It's the bird scene. Oh, <laughs> It's, oh, it's also really heteronormative because the father's like, no, I don't need to call anyone. It just needs yeah. a shot of Freon is all he says, but <laughs> yeah. it keeps getting hotter in the house. Hotter. It's just like, what are you doing? You're not trying. Yeah. You're supposed to hate this dad. And it, he does a great job because I can't stand this mm-hmm. man. He won't help anyone. He blames all the issues that he could solve on everyone else. The bird is the best part, hitting him, you know? The bird. Okay. So you guys remember this scene? Yes. Let me set the scene for you, listener. So they're all hanging out in the living room. It's 97 degrees. Everybody's getting like pretty irritable. And they have a pair of parakeets in a birdcage. And the birdcage has like a fabric over it so the birds can go to sleep. And they hear some commotion inside the birdcage. And they open the fabric. And they see one parakeet has killed the other. And the living parakeet breaks through and starts terrorizing them. <laughs> 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 it's just ridiculous because they're treating this parakeet like it's like a fighter jet. <laughs> it is like a quarter pound parakeet. <laughs> they like can't kill it either. I'm like, just get a broom and do it, you guys. Go on. It's like the like, size of your palm. They're like, get the children out of here. <laughs> <It's a parakeet. laughs> and um, that kind of leads me with like the the reason I, I don't think I even like this movie is that None of the scares are scary. Mm-hmm. It's the parakeet thing. It's the toaster is on fire thing. It's the like hot dogs are on fire. Like, oh my God. Like, yeah, that is actually scary. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we can, Freddie can just follow you wherever you go. So it's like, there is no suspense. There's no like waiting for something to happen. It's just like, this guy's already fucked. Mm-hmm. Freddie's already got him. Yeah. Now we just watch him unravel and we know he's not going to win. Wait for him to go into a fugue. And that's when Freddie's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of feels like, Freddie's kind of corny. <laughs> it's just like we don't know his motivation. Like he's tied to this diary in this house for some reason, you know, and we can assign all the, you know, the fear subtext that we want that like he's feeding on the fear of this one closeted boy. And that's like fun for us who think about it that way. But if you weren't like applying this lens to it, I'm like, what would you even get out of this movie? Like funny effects and the bird, I guess. Yeah, I wonder people who are oblivious to like the idea that it was gay, right? Like, why did they think he latched on? Like, what is the like inciting incident? What happened to like awaken Freddie in the house or whatever? Like, I get you moved in, but like, what was the real, why not the girl or why not anyone else in yeah. the house? What was? And yeah. even that, we don't learn anything about the main character before Freddie starts descending upon him and terrorizing him. So no. we have no, we don't care about this guy. And I've said this before in, in episodes, but if you are going to create like a fantastical world or reality, just tell me the rules and mm-hmm. I will believe you. This one broke all of the rules established in the first and didn't set any rules for this one. So you're kind of like, okay, anything can happen. Maybe he can control Freddy and eject him from his body. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I had a hard time sometimes when they were going between dream and reality. Like, okay, so which one is this now? Like, yeah. is he able to bring things from the dream world? Now? It, a lot of it is just like it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a consistent rule set. And it's yeah. like that bothers the hell out of me as someone who plays d and I need to have rules. Uh, it's yeah. very important to have rules. And the first one sets such simple, easy to follow rules. Go to sleep. 
Freddie's there. Wake up. He's not. And so if you're breaking those, explain yeah. it mm-hmm. and we'll get on board. But right now we just got like sadistic parakeets. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick on the like the ineffective father. Like he blames the wife for cheap seed. You bought no. cheap seed is what he tells her. And then he goes, it's got to be the gas. Is the ga- There's a gas leak. And then he, then he blames Jesse for having put a, like a, a cherry bomb or whatever. And I'm just like, What? It's just like there's at some degree, if we're talking about like the gay part of this, it's like it makes sense. The father does not want to empathize with the son. Yeah. He's trying to solve the problem. He doesn't that there is an issue here. It is it has to be solved. And the mother later, I think, becomes a more empathetic ve- yeah. uh, vessel. But like he is like the entire time, like the only solution is to just solve this. You kick him in the butt or do something like that. It kind of reminds me of Harry Potter in the first uh, installment of the franchise where anytime anything goes wrong, it's his fault. And even though it is in Harry Potter, like why... <laughs> This person's like living in fear. This bird just combusted. How the fuck could he have done that? It's 100 degrees. They are parakeets. Maybe they just explode. It's just what they do. That uh, Climate change. They didn't tell you that part. Parakeets just start exploding. The dangers of climate change. <laughs> Your parakeets just start exploding. So that night, Jesse can't sleep and wanders the raining streets of town barefoot. And he wanders into the S&M bar, Don's place, and orders a beer. This is a part that I don't understand. Is he actively being possessed and that possession drove him here? Or was he just walking around and wanted to go to this place? Yeah, I thought it was a dream until we got to the next scene in the in the high school locker room or whatever. And everything I said just says he sleepwalks there. So that doesn't really answer any question. It's mm-hmm. like maybe it's partly Freddie like manipulating him to go there. And maybe it's just his latent homosexuality bringing him to the, the one gay bar in this entire town, I guess. Gotta go to Don's on a Tuesday night. Yeah. <laughs> I would <laughs> believe the, the sleepwalking thing, but he gets to the bar and like very like lucidly orders a beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anyone notice what kind of glass he got for that beer? Oh my God, who drinks beer out of a little cup? It was like a scotch glass. Yeah. <laughs> like, what kind Why? of bar is this? Why put that in there? He orders a Budweiser, she hands a Budweiser and the cup and then they do an insert of him pouring into the cup. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> this never comes back around. It's never pro- It's never important. What the fuck are we doing? That beer is still sitting there actually. <laughs> this film runs like a very tight an hour and 27 minutes. And a lot of this stuff does not need to be in the film. So this just feels like a stretch for time. Oh, yeah. So Jesse begins to drink uh, Budweiser out of a fucking scotch glass <laughs> and is caught by Coach Snyder, who is wearing a leather vest with the world's worst farmer's tan. What the fuck? He's a PE coach, Sam. He's outsoid. He needs people to know that he's a PE coach either when, <laughs> even when he's in bondage. <laughs> so Coach Snyder takes Jesse back to high school to make him run laps. Yeah, it's just the 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 amount of dereliction of duty here as a teacher <laughs> is just. Why would you bring someone you found underage in a bar to run laps at the high school unless you were planning on something? And he was. It looked like so. Yeah. It is a very fishy vibe with this dude. If you find somebody at a bar, just tell them to get lost, see them the next day, call their parents. But to uproot your night, like he's out there in leather trying to make (laughs) something happen. So after Jesse is like done running laps, Jesse goes to take a shower. And while Jesse's taking a shower, we get another ridiculous scene. Oh, my God. Balls to the wall. The balls (laughs) to the wall scene, you guys. And... I'm trying to think if I was reading this in a script, like, oh, all of the sporting equipment comes to life and it becomes terrifying. Fine. But the way they actually, like, (laughs) 
fucking film this is so not scary at all. It's just a bunch of tennis balls flying around. He just lays down at one point. It's just like has his <laughs> heads, hands over his head and it's just like run or like, I don't know. Like put your hands in front of your face like it's Mardi Gras. Like do anything. Not the catcher's yourself. mitt, you know? Yeah. It's supposed to be genuinely terrifying. And you're like, you know, we've all had these balls fly at us many times. And if like live, like there's a chance these things hit you. That's why they're made to be solved. <laughs> Oh, it's the most confusing thing. And at one point, like, the shelf moves out from the wall. Okay. I always thought I was misreading that, but I'm glad you, you're saying that. I... What does that mean? So the shelf that's already spewing basketballs at him moves out from the wall slightly and then continues to spew <laughs> basketballs at him. <laughs> Why? Which also about set design again, when he, like, they first get into that, you can look at his, uh, the door to his closet there's a picture of like a bunch of boys scantily clad obviously oh, it should be right. maybe like a re- no it's not wrestling because there's no one in a wrestling outfit but it was just like very like short shorts and all kinds of things like maybe it's kind of 80s but with everything else you know about this character it does not come off that way yeah mm-hmm. we're already side-eyeing this guy it does not bode well for him so after he gets like dodgeball to shit some jump ropes uh bind his hands and coach snyder is like pulled into the shower the like gym shower where Jesse is taking a shower. And I'm gonna show you that scene now. No! 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 Brody, would you do us the honor of of describing that scene to us? The jump rope, which he very it seems almost malevolently is like grabbing while Jesse is taking a shower. Like it looks like he's thinking about doing something with it, which mm-hmm. is very, that's, I think it's the creepiest part of the film, to be honest. It's just the the adult figure abusing their power and taking advantage of a, of a child. Um, puts that down, eventually the jump rope grabs his hands and drags him, even though he's he's not even half-heartedly putting up a fight. He's <laughs> just like, like oh, all right, no. this is happening. This is, I guess, the Tuesday night I was expecting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and gets tied up to the shower. And then he's Whipped by a bunch of towels on the uh, ass, which I I really want to see a MythBusters on this to see like how how bad is like the the force on a, on a towel and his whip? clothes like explode oh. off of him oh, too. Oh, just, <laughs> you can't contain this farmer's hand. <laughs> I was say the, the the towel whip that's like a it breaks the sound barrier. That's why it's like whoosh. oh yeah. But nice. I don't again. I don't know if you can bleed <laughs> off your ass. Yeah. If you get, uh, yeah, you towel. I mean, when it's wielded by Freddy Krueger, can't you can? So. Uh, oh, his wrist action is insane. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you got knives for fingers, you gotta... They wrote in the script, Homeboy gets fucking spanked to death. (laughs) Uh, This scene is even more insane than I ever could have imagined. I need you guys to, to, if you're listening to this episode and it doesn't sound as ridiculous as I'm explaining it, it is even actually more ridiculous. So if you could take a second to watch that scene, it's insane. Um, So as Brody was saying, Coach Schneider gets fucking spanked to death you know his clothes explode he's like hogtied and at first it seems like something he could enjoy but then freddy krueger comes out with his claws and cuts has push. taken over jesse yeah seemingly mm-hmm. jesse becomes you see jesse's body in the in the shower mist yeah in the mist of the shower and then in a flash she becomes freddy and then like slices coach snyder to death so i'm gonna show you some commentary from the crew members, again, from the documentary, Never Sleep Again, about this particular scene. I did direct a lot of the shower scene with Marshall Bell, and wow, what was I thinking? The coach's balls being part of the attack 
I'm, I'm trying to think through whether or not there was something Freudian about that. I love that scene in the movie. I mean, I, um, I don't care for Marshall Bell's ass so much. <laughs> um, I don't think it was my idea to snap Marshall's bare ass with towels. It's what I would have liked to have seen happen to my phys ed teacher in school. Read into it what you will, but I just thought it was a horror scene, which really makes me feel stupid. Because it's not scary. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. It really elicits um, the scene from Scary Movie where, was it Tori Spelling who has sex with a ghost in one, mm-hmm. of, the, in one of the scary movies? That was the first one. It's definitely that vibe. It's also like we pulled this guy dressed in all leather from an s and bar, hogtied him, stripped him, and spanked him. And I just had no idea it was gay at all. It's like, girlfriend? I thought we were just <sighs> filming a horror scene. And it's just... I guess, like, when you're in the moment filming it, you think, oh, it's going to look way scarier than I think it's going to be. And then it did not come out the way you thought it was going to Like, on the schedule, it's, like, medium shot. Coach's bare ass gets smacked eight to ten times. Like, (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it straight in post. Yeah, right. We'll straighten it in post. Oh, hell. Do I love this movie? I I love to talk about it. That's for sure. That's it. I'm enjoying discussing this ridiculous film. So after this, the police returned Jesse back home after they found him walking along the highway naked. Totally chill vibes. Yes. Jesse's dad thinks Jesse's on drugs and Jesse's mom really wants Jesse to get professional help. But Jesse's father refuses, which is a super macho, Mm -hmm. I've got things under control type of perspective. I hate the dad. He sucks. Yeah, he's horrible. He needs a goddamn kick in the butt. That's that's his solution. Corporal punishment, more of it. Mm -hmm. It did not help the coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't know that yet. (laughs) It's a whip in the butt, you know, until he dies. So the next day, Jesse confronts his father about the history of the house, and Jesse's dad hasn't told anyone, didn't even tell his own wife or Jesse's mother the history of the house that a young girl went crazy in it and that the mother of that girl killed herself apparently in the living room and so (gasps) maybe the spirit of her mom took over that parakeet (laughs) she's like just gone insane (laughs) (laughs) maybe freddie's like i need to get better at possessing things uh let me possess some things around the house how about these parakeets oh let's give it a shot (sighs) so stupid oh this parakeet does like scratch them with his little claws gets the father it gets a good little scratch on the father you can see his uh band-aid in the next scene I was really hoping this dad would die a <laughs> terrible death, and all we I get know. is a parakeet, the parakeet scratch. flies down and explodes within him. <laughs> Goes dive, dive bombs into the dad and explodes from the inside. I really liked, and I think it was in this part, the mother says, this is all in your mind. And all I could think of was X-Men 2 when Bobby's telling his parents that he's a mutant. Mm-hmm. And she goes, have you ever tried just not being a mutant? And I was just like, very like, this is just in your mind? Have you ever thought, like, just don't be crazy? I don't just know. <laughs> It's like, this man looks like he hasn't slept in a month. I think he's going through something. That night, Jesse finds himself over his sister's sleeping body, and he stops himself just moments before killing her. It's like kind of my favorite shot where he tucks her into bed with the, like, clawed glove. He's like, just go back to sleep. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not in your room for any particular reason. Uh... What the fuck? Um, So at this point, he's, like, so thoroughly terrified that he's going to hurt someone else, so he starts to take caffeine pills. Uh, that never works, obviously. Mm-hmm. You've seen all the other films. Stay awake. Or no, stay up. Stop, stop up. Yes. Stop <laughs> up. No, there's uh, in Freddy vs. Jason, there's the name for it. Do you remember the film? I remember uh, Freddy vs. Jason, yeah. but I don't remember. The... It's been a while since I've seen I don't think it's in multiple. It might be in other 
Is I'll it look it up. Like a, another I'll generic stay up. It's like a generic. Yeah, it's like stay up. Is that what it's called in this stop. film? Yeah, it's called S-T-A. yeah. It's called stay up. Yeah, yeah. S T A hyphen. Yeah, stop. So they make different stop. names for it. I think. Stop. Maybe that was. <laughs> it was a Freudian slip to the crew. Stop. Please stop filming. <laughs> stop filming. Stop. How many do I have to take before it stops? <laughs> Hypnosil is what it's called in Freddy vs. Jason. Even worse. Okay. But that's yeah, crazy. That's... Predating that is stay up. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> okay, the next day at Lisa's pool party, Jesse looks like a shell of a person. <laughs> <laughs> and he attempts to leave, but Lisa stops him. And in the cabana, she makes a move on Jesse and they begin kissing. It just seems like a gay guy kissing <laughs> yes, a girl. The way he's holding her boobs. While they're, he's like, they don't show Don't want to look at him. They don't is, show nipples. I think weird for a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Uh they don't really sexualize this character very much. Like she wears like cute little knee length skirts and like full coverage tops and like her Meryl Streep bangs or whatever. Yeah. And the awkwardness of the scene is supposed to like relay on the audience like he's just so tired. <laughs> but it just now seems like he's super gay and doesn't want to be there. And like he's like going down to like caress her breast and he's like taking a lot of time there. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's too like, much time trying to stall. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. I'll just stop here. I'll just stay here. And then. Freddy Krueger's tongue comes out of his mouth. Oh, ew. Mm-hmm. I hated that. <laughs> I hated it. I think that's a staple because I watched Dream Warriors right after that and that definitely sh- oh, shows up again. Mm. But to come up in this moment, though, it's like when he's possibly fighting like this conflicting <laughs> feeling and maybe even feelings of disgust. If this is really uncomfortable for him, for him to be grossed out by his own body in this moment is like. Yet another thing. Mm-hmm. Her body, his body, is. he just knows the situation isn't right. He's like, I got to get out of here. And it really does feel like the werewolf possession thing. Mm-hmm. The dialogue of it all. It's like I have, I have a lot of quotes throughout this because it's just like, it's just another example. Set design is great because it has all these like little like Easter egg things. So like, yeah, this is gay. And then just the dialogue, just like if you take it out of context, like this is gay as well. Because Jesse quotes, I'm going to leave. I'm not into this. <laughs> and then she goes, I can help you, which to me reads as like the kind of, uh, I mean, the more evangelical thing. You need a, a good woman. The love of a good yeah. woman will set you free from this demon. Mm-hmm. It is. And he's just so reticent. And she's. And we don't have a reason why she loves him so much. We still don't know why. <laughs> why she would abandon her own house party to to go and make an advance on it's him. It's his so. dance moves, you guys. Obviously. He's so taken with his ass twerking. He can close the drawers with his ass. Ow. Ow. So uh, Jesse's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. He leaves his beautiful girlfriend who wants to have sex with him to break into Ronnie's bedroom. You guys. I'm going to show Lizzie and Brody the scene where Jesse enters Ronnie's room asking for help. I killed Snyder. You what? I mean, it wasn't me, see? There's something inside of me. And last night it made me go to my sister's room. And tonight with Lisa on the cabana, it started to happen again. I think you are seriously losing it, bro. I'm scared, Grady. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. What is Lisa putting inside of him? <laughs> is what I want to know. Uh, Do either one of these men know how straight sex works? She wants to peg me, dude. <laughs> I've, I've got enough inside of me as it is. Oh, my God. <sighs> Why would he go to Ronnie's room? Like, and people are reading the script, and they're like, okay, I got to do my breakdown for props or whatever. 
why would he not to go to the person who's like with her arms wide open like tell me everything <laughs> i want to know i want to help i want to do anything for you why would he then run across town to a man <laughs> he's only had pe class with a couple of times to be like help me bro and the guy's like uh, i think you're just like fucking weird like <laughs> not even helpful as brody was saying ronnie's room has just such a beautiful tapestry of little gay easter eggs i mean if you notice later in the scenes in this room there's a tina turner poster i'm sorry mm-hmm. and then there's like a david bowie poster to the side sure you're telling me ronnie the guy who can't close his mouth while he's eating food is like i love tina turner <laughs> <laughs> Also, why is his like comforter made out of black leather? I just don't think that's very comfortable. <laughs> Ronnie's not very receptive to what Jesse is saying. I would also think Jesse is crazy. So Jesse tells Ronnie to watch him while he sleeps. If anything starts to happen, Ronnie needs to wake Jesse up or stop him from harming other people. And most importantly, Ronnie cannot fall asleep. So what does Ronnie do? <laughs> <laughs> Night. Brady, it's starting to happen again. And I was like, a boner? Like, is that what's happening? Because <laughs> you're in the same room as the guy you love? I don't know what to do with that. Okay, if anything starts to happen while I fall asleep, any sort of motion or movements or growths, you just let me know. <laughs> if the wood starts springing, <laughs> wake me up. <laughs> oh, my God. As soon as Jesse goes to sleep, Ronnie's like, sweet dreams, <laughs> closes his eyes, and immediately Jesse is possessed by Freddie. This is such a great scene for their special effects we see Freddy Krueger literally break his way out of Jesse's body. Like you see the nails and the claws come through the hand and then the arm come through Jesse's arm and you see Freddy's eye in the back of Jesse's mouth and then he bursts out through the chest. Through his skin, yeah. It's pretty crazy. I've got a fun fact for that eye. Apparently, the way they built the special effects, so they had to have someone's head like right there so that someone could like film it. But the the way they made the cast, it was too small for everyone. And the set designers or the yeah the props guy's girlfriend was he so that's her eye there so technically Freddy Krueger has been played by a woman once uh, they had to get someone with like yeah, a very small one, eye well no they had this one like her like her whole head into the thing and that was like her oh. eye there so like the way it was built oh my god and that eye was so slay as well yeah, I loved yeah. that effect it was really good so good and unfortunately Ronnie has to die. <laughs> Freddie like slices through him through his chest and he dies and then Jesse turns back to Jesse. He runs back to Lisa. What do you think Lisa's gonna do? She's gonna do some holistic meditation <laughs> shit with you, bro. Like you she's need gonna, to gonna be pray restrained. over him. She's I've gonna got a lay crystal hands for this. On this yeah. <laughs> the perfect crystal. <sighs> so he goes back to Lisa's house and he tells Lisa that he's killed Ronnie and Schneider. She's a little too supportive for my liking. <laughs> He's covered in blood, and she's like, "Okay, we can we can figure this out." Like, um, what the fuck? He killed your friend and your fucking high school PE coach. Call somebody. She's like, "I'm sure we can get this sorted, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is like so much. Jesse has so much privilege walking oh, around this yeah. world. He's actively covered in blood, confessing to multiple murders. And <laughs> everyone's like, it's fine. We got you, babes. <laughs> Found wandering a, a road make half naked with no shoes on. It's like, oh, here's here's your little queer. Uh, but it was like, cage him up. He's going to get he's gonna get in trouble out there. I think you lost this. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Lisa, Fred Krueger is inside of me and he wants to take me again. He owns me. 
owns that ass. <laughs> owns, he owns that ass for sure. Okay, so you have to keep in mind, Lisa's hosting a pool party. So there's a bunch of teenagers outside by the pool. And while this conversation is taking place, we see that the temperature of the pool is rising. The hot dogs catch fire. <laughs> That's supposed to be scary. They're hot dogs. It's so dumb. The entire <laughs> scene. Like one one woman in the, the pool goes, can someone turn the heat down? I was like, are you sure this is a heated pool? It doesn't look like it. Like, what do you mean? Situational awareness. There's no. God, it's so fucking dumb. And we'll see the, the scene by the pool get dumber very quickly. Don't you worry. But inside, Lisa's telling Jesse that she's read the diary and she thinks that Jesse can gain power over himself and defeat Freddy just by not being afraid. Again, she's giving big holistic healing vibes. Just <laughs> yeah. like, don't think about having bad vision. Like, don't think about being possessed by Freddy and then you'll be over it. Yeah, you just don't be You tried not being a mutant? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you tried not being possessed. As this is happening, Jesse is becoming possessed. And he becomes completely possessed by Freddy and begins chasing Lisa throughout the house. And she picks up a knife at one point but doesn't want to harm Freddy. And then you hear Jesse's voice from Freddy's body saying, kill me. Kill me. And so Lisa starts to like stab Freddy, but then nothing happens. And then like as she's doing so, the voice, Jesse's voice from Freddy speaks up again to say that he loves Lisa. And this love breaks the spell. And Freddy disappears for a second, only to reappear in the pool area. He crashes through the, the door, doesn't he? Like, he like crashes through the floor. Becomes visible for a second. Uh, yeah, like, he like crashes through the door and then disappears and then crashes through like the floorboards of the pool area. God, yeah. So stupid. Okay. In the Never Sleep Again documentary, Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger, mentions several moments such as the pool scene where Freddy appears to teenagers outside of their dreams where he struggled playing the part because it was against the role set in the first installment. He was like, um, I really shouldn't be doing this. He, the, All of the deaths happen outside of dreams. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so bad. It just... I mean, every every film outside of this one, just like the dream kills are interesting kills. Like he's he, he's part of the environment. Like it is very much your fear coming against you. It, it comes alive. So I, was like, I could see why he's have a hard he's going to have a hard time. Like, all right, just got to slash up some teenagers. Let's, just <laughs> get, let's get this over with. Light him yeah. up. <laughs> I just roll into the pool area and they're going to like scurry around me. Apparently, Wes Craven hated this scene. <laughs> he really, really hated it. And he said that it was ridiculous to show Freddy Krueger kill a bunch of teams that were taller than him. <laughs> I love Wes Craven. Oh, he would have loved the parakeet scene. He's like, we got something for you, Wes. <laughs> right, that one and just for him. <laughs> so these teens are like fish in a barrel. They can't escape this pool area because of like flames and burning hot dogs or whatever. And Lisa's father attempts to shoot Freddy with a shotgun, but Lisa like turns the gun away. And this is another act of love. That, like, makes Freddy leave. I wish they told us why. Yeah. I'm over here making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't believe love is ever. Like, in Harry Potter, too, it's like, oh, Lily's love for her son. I'm like, so that's the only person that Voldemort tried to kill that wasn't What's saved that by spell? love? What's that spell? Yeah. Right. Well, how does that magic work? I just don't believe love. <laughs> Exist. Sorry. Wait, what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> the nightmares are the friends we made along the way. <laughs> so he takes off. Lisa goes to find him at a pl the power plant that 
Freddy Krueger originally worked at. She goes to enter the power plant, and it's just like Rottweilers and baby <gasps> oh masks. God. The creepiest oh fucking God. dogs. All right, this is the scariest part of the film. This is it. This is like the dog with the the Rottweiler with the baby face. That is the scariest part of this film. <laughs> you can obviously see it's just like dogs just like trying to see the, the tails. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> There's like peanut butter on the inside of the mask. It's yeah. like, yay. This is the biggest scare that they could think of. It's just ridiculous. I was kind of saying off mic, uh, I had recently watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Not to spoil too much, but it predates this film. And there is a dog mask scare oh similar to this movie. Uh, so it's not even, this film isn't even like... Um, ingenious enough to come up with the put a mask on a dog like it stole it from somewhere else not even bad in an original way (laughs) well don't forget there's also scary cat and Mm. scary rat Mm. Mm. so we have the whole a whole scary pet menagerie scary toaster scary Scary canary (laughs) (laughs) scary canary i'm killing myself (laughs) (laughs) so lisa's walking her way through this fucking power plan or whatever and she finds freddy and she proclaims her love to freddy and it temporarily disarms freddy and jesse's able to get a grip over his body and then lisa kisses him Ugh, disgusting mm-hmm. not worth it babes the kiss that killed homosexuality ah yes the one cleansing kiss and so at that moment, Jesse is able to escape from Freddy. And this is a shot that's really fucking cool. When they cut to Jesse inside of Freddy taking control, he's like, he pulls himself out of like a Freddy suit. Like his, it's like another exoskeleton moment, but it's even better special effects. He's like literally pulling Freddy's face off of his. Yeah, like crumbly black charred bits. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. And I just kept thinking, God, that actor was so uncomfortable in whatever that was made of, like bacon crumbles and coconut oil. I don't know. I love that this scene was probably easier for him than the dance scene in his bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Jesse is saved. The curse is lifted and he returns to school. He gets on the school bus. I really hate the use of the school bus because he has a car the entire time. (gasps) Right. Why the fuck would he ever take a school bus? Also, like, what is scary about being driven out into the desert in a school bus? They just drive into the desert and that's supposed to be terrifying. Oh no! <laughs> oh, what? Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so are we even surprised? Obviously, nothing's okay. He's still in a nightmare. He's still gay. Mm, he's still gay. The kiss did not cleanse him of his homosexual impurities. And uh, yeah, probably gonna die. Everyone cool with that? <laughs> yep. Uh, seems like it's gonna happen. <laughs> okay, on to the reception. With a budget of $3 million, this film went on to gross $30 million at the box office. And there you go. Still a success. (laughs) Still a huge success. It received mixed critical reviews with praise for the special effects, but overall critiques that the film didn't even have any scares, truly. Any memorable scares, I should say. But the film quickly became a cult classic and heralded by the gay community. We love him. Gay people will take what they can get. And this is the biggest (laughs) example of that. The best representation, the 80s. Uh. (laughs) I mean, those cunty little screams were just, Mm. they're still powering me to this day like I'm in Monsters, Inc. or something. Yeah. (laughs) the gayest screams can power anyone all right do we want to score this guy yes lizzie can you explain the scores the subtextual score is quite simple we each get to rate the film on a scale of one to ten for how gay the movie is and how good the movie is we then average those all together to get a single subtextual score lizzie let's start off with the easy one how gay is this film 
This film is quite gay. Um, everyone has even said it's gay. So short of gay sex and gay kissing, I'm going to give it an eight. Great. And Brody, how gay is this film? I'm stuck between a six and a seven because I have a very high bar for what I want to consider gay. It should have more explicit, non-pejorative kind of depictions of gay sex. I have like a really high score. So I'm going to say seven. It is still very gay. What about you, Sam? I'm going to have to give it a seven as well. Lizzie, how good is this film? Three. I will watch this again. Do not let that three fool you. Quick and decisive. Brody, what say you? I'll give it a five. It is thoroughly entertaining. I will never take it seriously. I'll never say it illuminates any facet of the human condition, but I don't <laughs> mind watching this film and having someone who's never seen it, especially. It's so fun. There's so much ass in this film, I realize. Like, a lot of ass. Tons. Tons of ass. What they lacked in script, they made up for an ass. <laughs> mm -hmm. And for that, I will give it a four. Special effects, awesome. Everything else, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you say earlier, Lee? Scary. Scary canary. <laughs> scary canary. We'll give him four points for the scary canary. All right. This gives it an overall subtextual score of 5.66 repeating, 5.7. 5.6 into the universe, never oh, ending. Wow. That means it got a better score than Practical Magic. <laughs> it is quite well, gay. It's I quite mean, gay. Geez, any final thoughts, you guys? Just watch it if you haven't seen it. It it doesn't. We're never going to do it justice. You you have to see it for your own eyes. Yeah, it's it's a fun watch. If you take away anything else from it, please let us know. All right, let's uh let's catch the next bus out of here. What do you guys think? We're heading to Don's place. If anyone wants to join, as long as oh, yeah. it's not driven by Robert England, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.